Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet oh, is on the phone. Here we go. Friday, December 3rd, 2021, people. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is having a great week, and hope everybody is ready for a banger of an episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. That is right. I just used the term banger, baby. I'm way too old to be doing that, but it's okay. You guys love me anyway. So much to get into, so much to discuss. The lead topic, of course, is that Notre Dame on the verge of naming a new head coach. It is not official yet, but Marcus Freeman, their current defensive coordinator, I believe it's the right move given the circumstances. I am excited to see what he can bring to the Notre Dame football program. From there, we will talk a little bit about the weekend that is coming in college football, the SEC championship game, the ACC championship game, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, all the big games. We'll preview them all. And from there, we'll wrap on a little college hoops. Uh, Memphis, complete disaster. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about Duke losing their first game. I'm not nearly as worried about Duke, by the way, as Memphis. A little Purdue. The Big Ten ACC challenges in the books. On and on and on. Preview maybe a little bit of this weekend as well as Alabama travels to Seattle to play Gonzaga. So a lot to discuss. A lot to get into. Excited about this Friday episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. And with that said... Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is that Notre Dame is on the verge of naming its next head football coach. Now, the reason that it is not technically official yet, uh, Notre Dame has a very strict vetting policy. It comes from, for those college football historians that may remember, there was once a man named George O'Leary. He was named the Notre Dame head football coach. He lied on his resume. He was fired like a day and a half later. And so now Notre Dame's vetting policy is much more difficult than it has been in the past. But Marcus Freeman, their current defensive coordinator for all intents and purposes, when it is all said and done, will be named the next head coach of Notre Dame football. Before I get into all of the specifics, what I would just say is this is a perfect example of something that I do talk about sometimes on this show. Um, I've said it many times. I love this show. I love what I do, and when I turn on this mic, one thing that I do like and prefer is to come in with a big, strong, bold opinion. Lincoln Riley is going to win national championships at at USC. This guy's not the right hire. This team's going to beat that team. But this is one of those deals where I actually see both sides. For the people who say he's too young, first-time head coach, I don't know that this is right for Notre Dame, I totally get it. 
On the flip side, I also think there's a very compelling argument the other way, which is that given the circumstances, this is the right decision at this time for Notre Dame. And that is where I actually lean. And so let's get into it. Let's discuss. Let's explain. And really where it starts is the timing of everything. And I know that everybody wants to crush Brian Kelly and it's all Brian Kelly's fault and screw Brian Kelly. Well, first of all, let's never forget Brian Kelly bailed on Cincinnati right before the biggest bowl game of their uh, program history at that moment in time to come to Cincinnati back to come to Notre Dame from Cincinnati back in 2009. And I get why Brian Kelly made the decision that he did. This is 2021. We have this early signing period in December. And Brian Kelly, as soon as he knows he is going to be the LSU head coach, he has to commit to being the LSU head coach. And that starts with recruiting and that starts with wrapping up their signing class starting in the next few weeks in December. And so while it really sucks for Notre Dame, and while I hate it, and while I understand they're still in the playoff hunt mathematically and frankly probably have a pretty straightforward path to getting in, I also understand why Brian Kelly had to make the decision that he made. I also understand why Notre Dame was put in a very difficult position by Brian Kelly, right? What we have to understand about this Notre Dame thing is we all want Notre Dame to make that perfect hire, to have that, uh, to, to, to have that Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly type moment that USC and LSU had, but it was never going to be realistic because LSU had two months to figure out who was going to be their next head coach. USC had three months to figure out who was going to be their next head coach. Notre Dame had like 40 minutes notice before it became official. And even as Jack Swarbrick, the AD, said in, their, in, in his press conference, I believe it was Tuesday morning, he, he had kind of the hint, the idea that Brian Kelly was interested in leaving for another school. But until it happens, it's not like Jack Swarbrick is making phone calls, engaging interest when he has a coach of an 11-1 team. And so this was almost an impossible situation. It becomes official Monday night, and all of a sudden, Notre Dame is in scramble mode. And that's not a knock on Notre Dame. That's not a criticism of Notre Dame. That's just a reality. And so the way that I see it, if you believe that they should have done more than just promote their defensive coordinator, which I don't, I actually disagree with you. I think Marcus Freeman is the right hire, but let me explain. Really, I believe once Brian Kelly makes it official, once he sends out that text, I'm going to LSU, Notre Dame is really in, they have three choices that they can make, and none of them are really ideal. First off, I think there's one legitimate A-plus home run, unite the fan base hire. That is Luke Fickle. As I talked about on Wednesday's show, Luke Fickle is also coaching for something much bigger than any one job or any one anything. He is coaching to become the first group of five team in the playoff, and he is coaching ultimately for a national championship. And so, yes, you can wait for Luke Fickle. But as I said the other day, you're going to have to wait until January 1st just to talk to Luke Fickle, even if you know that he may be interested. I don't think he's going to show any signs that he's interested because he is a very straightforward focused on what's in the present kind of guy so you would have to wait until January 1st the day after the first round of the playoffs just to even speak to him hoping that he is going to take your head coaching job and then you have already missed the early signing period and you're at that point your entire recruiting class probably fractures it's hard to keep the number four recruiting class in the country together without a head coach and so Unless you feel a thousand percent certain that you're getting Luke Fickle, I don't really know if that's a realistic option in 2021 in college football, again, because of the early signing period that is on December 15th. The second option, you can go out and get a new head coach from somewhere else. Obviously, outside of Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle, of course, is from somewhere else. With that said, though, 
that brings up a couple interesting predicaments in its own right. You could probably go get somebody good, but again, the really, really good coaches, Luke Fickle's coaching for a playoff. If there's some NFL coach that wants the head coaching job, he's not going to be available. And so very likely, if you bring in someone from the outside, say Matt Campbell, say Pat Fitzgerald, it's not going to be a grand slam home run hire with the fan base. The fan base will be divided. And then more importantly, you know who else is going to be divided is the locker room. And I'm not saying that the players should have the ultimate say in who becomes the next head coach. But this is a really good team and a really good program that is trending by all accounts in the right direction. Jack Swarbrick, the AD, said it in his press conference the other day. He said, the last time we had to make a hire, I was here to hire Brian Kelly. And the number one priority, the number one bullet point on my list was to get a program builder, a guy that has had success building programs. And we don't need that anymore. We need somebody that can take this great program that Brian Kelly has built and take it to the next level. And so maybe Matt Campbell's that guy, maybe Pat Fitzgerald's that guy, maybe P.J. Flex that guy, whoever. But you are now asking somebody to come in that doesn't know the players, doesn't know the team, doesn't know the school, doesn't know academics, doesn't know admissions, doesn't know anything, and try to elevate something that is already at about as high as it's been in about 30 or 35 years. Or the third option, you can hire Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator who everybody in the building likes, who everybody in the building respects, who has basically the backbone of this top five recruiting class that's coming in, who all the coaching staff likes, who all the coaching staff respects, and you can basically keep things status quo. Marcus Freeman focuses on the defense. Just about everybody else kind of stays in the same spot that they're currently in. Tommy Reese, of course, has been the offensive coordinator, the play caller for the last few years. He stays. The strength and conditioning staff stays. That's what you can do. And so to me, as sexy as it would be, listen, I would love another incredible hire that would leave ripple effects across college football the way that Lincoln Riley going to USC did or the way that Brian Kelly going to LSU did. I would love for them to go get uh, fill-in-the-blank coach, Ryan Day. I don't know. Ryan Day is not leaving Ohio State for Notre Dame, but you get the point. I would love for them to go out and get that next head coach that creates these crazy ripple effects in college football, but that's not realistic. So unless you are 100% positive that Luke Fickle is absolutely 100% going to say yes, I truly believe it's the best option. I truly believe it's the best option for a couple reasons. The first one I just discussed. One, this guy is universally liked in the building, in football, well-respected across the board. I know he's young. I know he's new to the community. He's only been there one year. But everybody, by all accounts, seems to like him. The administration likes him. The players like him. The other assistant coaches like him. They respect him. He has a voice in that building. Um, you know, again, by all accounts, he is much more personable. He, he's kind of the one-on-one relationships guy where Brian Kelly was the distant CEO type. In 2021, in college football, I do think that matters. I do think having relationships with the players matter. I do th- this isn't 1974 where you can just stand in your ivory tower metaphorically or literally Bear Bryant coach from a tower and practice. You have to be there. You have to be on the ground. You have to listen to your players. You have to communicate with them. You have to respect them. And Marcus Freeman does that. Beyond that, and I think this is really the most important part, is that it keeps everything together. I don't think people realize, and I say this all the time, Where Notre Dame is at right now, I know we think of Notre Dame as Rudy and the Gold Dome and play like a champion today, and we think it's 1945 and they should win the national championship every year. That's how people treat Notre Dame. I'm not even saying Notre Dame fans are like that, but people are like, oh my God, Notre Dame went 11-1? They're so overrated. No. Notre Dame 
is in about as good of a position as it has been in 30 or 40 years. And it, I, I will say, listen, you can criticize Brian Kelly. It is a direct reflection of Brian Kelly. And so the idea that you want to bring in somebody else and completely tear down what Brian Kelly has spent the last 12 years building, I don't think that that makes sense. Just think about it at the most basic level. This is an 11-1 team that can make the college football playoff. This is an 11-1 team that was actually built for next year. This was supposed to be the rebuilding year, and 2022 was supposed to be the year where they return everybody and compete for a national championship. So now you're going to let Marcus Free. You don't hire Marcus Free right now. Listen, this guy's got options. He can go to LSU and be the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football. He can go somewhere else and be a defensive coordinator, make multi-millions of dollars a year. He could go probably get head coaching opportunities at plenty of other places. So you start waiting two, three, four, five days. This guy's got options. Tommy Reese has options. The entire coaching staff has options. And so that to me is part of this as well. You get to keep this thing together. You get to keep building. You get to take, how about this? You get to take an 11-1 team as the floor and the baseline of where the program is and where the program could be going. Just think about that. Imagine how many coaches would love to start in the position that Marcus Freeman was in. So why are you going to bring in somebody else that's just going to tear it down and do this his way, that his way, his own strength and condition? No, this isn't USC. Okay, I watch a lot of college football. USC was a disaster. USC needed to completely start from scratch. LSU was not good this year. They needed to make a lot of changes. Notre Dame doesn't really need to do all that much except keep building on what they're doing. Speaking of which, you know what else keeping Marcus Freeman does? It helps keep that recruiting class in place. Now, I don't know if they'll sign everybody because flips happen all the time. They happen in, in uh, you know, they happen in Alabama. They happen at Georgia. And so, uh, you know, if Notre Dame has 25 guys committed, do I believe all 25 will sign on signing day? I don't know. But I do know that Marcus Freeman is the guy on the ground, the guy that has been put in the, 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 the legwork with this recruiting class, the guy that has been the backbone of building this recruiting class. And I think by naming him head coach, it allows you to keep this recruiting class, which is absolutely incredible. I said it the other day. Notre Dame has the number four ranked recruiting class in the country, okay? That is insane. And yeah, I know, Notre Dame, Golden Dome, they should, they should win every, they're always overrated. Notre Dame, according to the experts, has the number four ranked recruiting class in the country. The only three teams that are currently ranked ahead of them, Texas a Georgia, Alabama, and Texas A&M. Those are the only three teams. Ohio State is not ahead of, of Notre Dame right now. Clemson is not ahead of Notre Dame right now. USC, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida State, Michigan, Penn State, none of those teams are ranked ahead of Notre Dame right now. And so by keeping Marcus Freeman, you keep one of the best recruiting classes in the country intact. And again, it goes back to what I just said a minute ago. That is part of building this thing up for the future. The final thing I would say, the reason I have no fundamental problem with this is because the plan was to give this program to Marcus Freeman all along. For people who do not know, Brian Kelly basically like let it loose at a press conference by accident about late August, early September, where he's asked about something. And he kind of mentions like, yeah, I got this young defensive coordinator. He's going to be the next head coach at Notre Dame. And a lot of people took it like, are you retiring? Like, well, what's going on here? And the point is, is that nothing was guaranteed and we would have to see and wait and see and all that stuff. But at the same time, the expectation was that at some point when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, and we all assumed it would be via retirement in the next five, six, seven years, whatever, that the program was going to be handed over to Marcus Freeman. And so, yes, in a perfect world, you would love for Marcus Freeman to have more time 
to, to, to just be on the job, right? He's 35 years old. That's a lot of pressure to take over as the head coach at Notre Dame. But if you believed that he was going to be the right coach at some point, well, some point is now. And so, again, I've said it 10 times. I'm not going to repeat it. It's better to bring in Marcus Freeman, keep what is going, going, keep the success, the success, rather than go get a Matt Campbell or get a Pat Fitzgerald or get somebody like that. Now, look, if there's some mystery candidate that absolutely would have killed for this job that, that you know, you shouldn't have turned down, I don't know. Is there a chance that you could have waited until Sunday to see if Luke Fickle loses to Houston and is out of the playoff picture? I don't know. But what I am just saying is this was the right move at this time for Notre Dame to keep a great program intact. Just about the only thing I would say, I do understand those that say, again, what I said a minute ago. He's too young. He's not ready. This is a different kind of job. And I get it. But you know what else? I would have said the same thing if I had a podcast when Lincoln Riley was named head coach at 33, 34 years old of the Oklahoma Sooners. I didn't think he was ready. Offensive coordinator, what? How about o- Ohio State? I remember when, when Ryan Day took over for Urban Meyer. I remember doing radio interviews, people saying, well, what do you expect? And I remember that was a year that Michigan on paper was really good, and I said, this has to be the year for Michigan. First year head coach, Ryan Day. And then you see Justin Fields, a quarterback, the first game of the season, if I remember correctly, he threw for three touchdowns. I think he had four total touchdowns in the first quarter of the first game as the Ohio State co- uh, quarterback. And he said, oh, okay, this, this Ryan Day guy is going to be good. And so I don't know if Marcus Freeman is going to be Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley, two coaches that have multiple playoff appearances. I don't know what it is going to be. But if you had asked most people when Ryan Day was named head coach to take over for Urban Meyer, you said, ah, I don't know, he's a little young. Lincoln Riley, yeah, I don't know, he's a little young. So with that said, let's give him a shot. And I think he can be really good, and I am really excited to see what Notre Dame looks like. But to me, this was the right decision given the circumstances at Notre Dame. There's no guarantee, but you know what there would have been a much better guarantee of? If you wait and you vet candidates and you wait two, three, four weeks, you're going to lose that entire recruiting class. You're potentially going to lose players into the transfer portal, and I just don't think it's the right decision. Now the program can get back on track. The coaches can stay recruiting. They can stay on the road talking to all their commitments. More importantly, uh, the players can get ready in case they happen to have a playoff game to get ready for. Playoff? Playoff? Jim Moore, new UConn head coach. Playoff? The, uh, you know, they can get ready now. They can focus on the game. They can focus on the team. They can focus on academics. They can focus on finals. All these great things. So I have no fundamental issue with it. I don't know if he's the perfect fit, but it is about as good of a decision as you can make, in my opinion, if you're Notre Dame, as possible. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to preview the weekend ahead in college football. Not sure if you heard a couple big games. We'll hit on all of them. I will be right All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. I want to get to the championship games in a minute, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, whatever. But before I do, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. And here's the deal. The DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer for new users and listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's the deal. If you love college football, this weekend's championship games, here's the deal DraftKings has for first-time users. All you got to do is bet $1, just $1 on any one team. And if that team scores one single point, just one, not two, not three. I'm not LeBron James here, not four, not five, not six. Just one point, you win $100 in free bets. One team, one bet for $1. 
if that team, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Iowa, whoever, scores one point, you win $100 in free bets thanks to DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's what you have to do. First of all, click the link that is in the show description. So you listen on Apple, you listen on Spotify, wherever. There is a link in the show description of DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up, new account, DraftKings Sportsbook, and make your first deposit. Make a $1 bet on any team. And if your team scores one point, you get an automatic $100 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going in sports betting, so go ahead and... Act now before it's too late. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $1 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears, and I do want to hit on some of these major college football games this weekend. Obviously, look, it's championship week. We know the deal. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. I should mention once again, thank you to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. If you are a first-time user, if you do want to help the Aaron Torres pod and Aaron Torres media, go ahead, click the link in the show description. One dollar, one point for the team that you bet. One game, you win $100 in free bets. It really is a great deal, and I really do appreciate DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. If you have any questions, always feel free to DM me, Twitter, Instagram. Hit me up at Aaron Torres, Podcast Questions at gmail.com. With that said, though, let's get to some of these big games, and I think we all know where we're going to start. The biggest one, the most important one, the one that matters the most. I am, of course, talking about the Pac-12. No, I'm just kidding. I am talking about the SEC Championship game. The big one, the one that is going to determine maybe potentially the number one seed overall in the college football playoff, maybe potentially a second SEC team can make the college football playoff if someone could possibly, uh, if Alabama could possibly pull the upset. And I would say this, the point spread in this one is six and a half, which means that Georgia is a six and a half point favorite. They're expected to win by about a touchdown. And I'll tell you this, it feels about right, and it is so fascinating to think about this game because for years we have just decided that Georgia will never get over that Alabama hump. And now all of a sudden we agree Georgia's the best team in the country, Alabama is struggling, there's no way Alabama wins this game. And so what I would say is I don't know that I necessarily see see it this way. I think Georgia's the better team. I think they're more deserving. How about my dogs? How about my dogs? But at the same time, I don't think this is going to be a bloodbath, one-sided deal, and let me explain why. I think everyone is focused on Alabama's offense versus Georgia's defense, and with good reason, and I think that's most the reason that most people think that Alabama is going to lose big. Alabama's offensive line has struggled all year. They can't block anybody. I think Doug Marone, they say never ask for another man's job, never call for another man's job. I'm calling for Doug Marone's job. He has been absolutely terrible. Um, so I think that's the reason why go, that Alabama O-line, which gave up seven sacks last week against Bryce Young, going up against the Georgia defensive front, that's why everybody thinks this game is going to get ugly because Alabama has struggled all year up front. I instead, though, want to focus on the other side of the football and kind of flip it around because, to me, the reason that I do believe 
that Alabama can't keep this close is actually because of the other side of the football. We're so focused on Alabama's offense versus Georgia's defense. I don't think enough people are talking about Georgia's offense versus Alabama's defense. Because here's the bottom line about this game. Alabama has the best personnel and will be the best defense that Georgia has played since week one against Clemson, okay? And we think about Georgia dominating everybody, beginning to end, start to finish. That season opening game against Clemson, the final score was 10-3. to And while Georgia, I thought, was in complete control, they didn't score a single offensive touchdown. Their one score, their one offensive touchdown, their one touchdown, excuse me, came on an interception pick six. And so when you look at that Georgia offense against a truly elite defense in Clemson, they did not score a single offensive touchdown. Well, this Alabama defense is going to be the best defense that they have seen all year. This is the best pass rush that they have seen since that Clemson game. How about this? Alabama, 43 total sacks in 12 games this season. I'm not great at math, but that's close to four sacks a game on defense. Will Anderson is their star on that side of the football. Uh, I believe that he should be in New York for a Heisman Trophy ceremony. I don't know if he should win it, but I believe he should at least be in the conversation. I mean, he's just putting up like stupid video game, Lawrence Taylor, Tech Mobile numbers, 14 and a half sacks, 29 and a half TFLs. And so while the focus is so much on Georgia's defensive front against Alabama's quarterback, Alabama's offense with Bryce Young, I think Alabama's front can give Georgia some problems. More importantly, and I talked about this, I was on Tuscaloosa Radio on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, excuse me. I don't understand why, I'm, why am I the only one that talks about Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback, okay? And Stetson Bennett's a great story. For people who don't know the story, he was a walk-on, grew up a Georgia fan, got the starting job last year. But what a lot of people probably forget, he lost the starting job. And you know why? Because there were two marquee games where we saw that he frankly looked, and this is no disrespect, I think it's a great story. He looked like a former walk-on playing against SEC defenses. One was against Alabama last year. One was against Florida. Well, Stetson Bennett did not play in that season opener against Clemson. This is by far the best defense that he will be going up against all year. And it's not as though Stetson Bennett has been asked to do too much as the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs. Instead, it's kind of amazing. I was looking up the stats earlier this week. In his last five games, Stetson Bennett has only thrown... 20 more than 20 passes one time that was against Tennessee if you remember Tennessee early in that game was able to move the ball on Georgia's uh, Georgia's defense they scored more responsibility for Stetson Bennett every other game is basically hand the ball to the running backs hand the ball to the running backs get out of the way Stetson Bennett let the defense in the run game take over you are not going to be able to do that against Alabama and so while I do think that Alabama's defense will be able to keep them in it I also think we can't ignore the part that I already talked about. The part where Alabama's offense is going to have to move the ball against the unmovable Georgia defense. And that is where we should be concerned, right? Because Georgia has the best defense that we've seen in college football in a very long time. Uh, they have been unbelievable in, in all of these big games. Obviously, a shutout against Georgia Tech last week. They gave up 17 to Tennessee, and even that 17 was a little bit misleading because Tennessee scored 10 early and then didn't score again until late in the fourth quarter. Kentucky didn't score again until late in the fourth quarter to cut it to a three-possession game. So this defense has been absolutely awesome. And I do think that while I talked about the Georgia offense against the Alabama defense at some point Alabama's offense is going to have to be able to figure out a way to block these guys and to create some sort of run game and I just don't know that it'll happen one Alabama's best running back is going to be limited in this game his name is Brian Robinson he's been banged up uh two 
I just don't know that this offensive line can keep Bryce Young upright. And Bryce Young, I think, has shown an incredible resilience and incredible toughness because he has gotten knocked around this year. The defensive linemen at Texas A&M, Auburn last week, they have really been able to get after him. And as I said a minute ago, he got sacked six, seven times last week, I believe six in the first half against Auburn, and Alabama couldn't do anything to stop him. And so if Alabama's, defense, if Alabama's offensive line couldn't stop Auburn's defensive front, I do think they struggle to slow down uh, this Georgia defense. I do ultimately think, as we get to a prediction, I do think Georgia wins. My prediction is that this game is close for about two and a half quarters. I'll predict something like 10 to 6 at halftime, something like that, 10 to 7, 10, uh, you know, 10-3 Georgia, and then I think Georgia pulls away. In my official picks column at Aaron Torres Online, I said 27-7 to is a final score. That probably feels a little bit low now that I think about it. I think 27-10, 27-14 feels about right. I do believe Georgia will win this game. I do believe they will advance to the college football playoff as the number one seed. I do believe that they will be the prohibitive favorite. But at the same time, I think Alabama puts up a lot tougher of a fight than we expect. And what I would also say is I think what's especially interesting about this game is if Alabama loses but looks good, are we going to start the argument that they should be in the playoff as a at-large team? I'm telling you, everybody keeps telling me, if Cincinnati wins, they're in. If Oklahoma State wins, they're in. If Michigan wins, they're in. I think Georgia is in if they win, obviously. Michigan is in if they win, obviously. I am just telling you, if Alabama loses but they play this game close, people are going to start the argument to put Alabama in as a two-loss team. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. You can argue with me. You can debate me. We'll find out Saturday night, but I am just telling you it is going to happen. With that said, let's move on to the other ones. Uh, the other big one, I mean, Michigan against Iowa, right? And it's kind of crazy because the point spread in this one is 10.5 points, and Michigan is a 10.5-point favorite. And two things. One, wouldn't it be vintage Michigan? to beat Ohio State, finally get that monkey off their back, and then lose this game. And I hope it doesn't happen. I want to see Jim Harbaugh in the playoff. But I could see it happening if they don't take care of the football. And so to me, we could go we could go in a million different directions. The bottom line is this. Michigan is the better team. Michigan overall has much more talent. Michigan should win this game. I actually think this point spread is about right as long as Michigan takes care of the football. And I've said this for about five, six, seven weeks now in Iowa. A lot of you started asking about week three, week four, Iowa. They're, they're ranked in the top 10. At one point, they got to the top five. Torres, how does Iowa do this? And I told you. I said, Iowa has a very simple game plan. Iowa likes to run the ball. They like to chew the clock. And they like to wait for you to make mistakes. And then when you make mistakes, they capitalize. That is essentially how they have won all of their games this year. If you don't believe me, I looked up this stat. I shared it on the College Football Betting Show. For those of you who listen to both shows, I apologize, but I got to share it. In games in which Iowa has either won the turnover battle or the turnover battle has been even, in other words, each team had the same number of turnovers, Iowa is 9-0. In the games where they have a negative turnover differential, in other words, the team that they are playing has fewer turnovers than they do, they are 1-2, and, and they got embarrassed in two of those games. And so when you look at Iowa, it is kind of amazing. Like they are, uh, I don't want to say they're not good. They're good at what they do. But they rank, this is incredible, 123rd out of 130 teams nationally in total offense. That means only seven teams had a worse offense this year than Iowa. And Iowa's 10-2 and playing for a Big Ten championship. They rely on turning you over. They had the second most turnovers in college football this year. 
And the good thing if you're a Michigan fan, or the reason for optimism at the very least if you're a Michigan fan, is that this season they've actually done a very good job of taking care of the ball. Now, can I promise that they'll do it on, on Saturday against Iowa? I really can't because we really don't know what to expect in this game. Anything can happen. But what I would say is part of the downfall through the early years of the Jim Harbaugh era is that they almost had a Scott Frost Nebraska quality to it, which was they turned it over or made a dumb mistake at the worst possible time. That is not this team, not this year. This year in 12 games, Michigan has only turned the ball over nine times, which I'm not great at math, but that is less than one turnover per game from Michigan this season. That is tied for sixth nationally. And obviously it's less than one turnover per game. And if they can just take care of the football, they should be fine. I don't need to tell you how good their run game is. I don't need to tell you how good their defensive front is, how good Aiden Hutchinson is up front. I am just telling you, if they take care of the football, they should be okay. Iowa does have a solid run defense, so I could see this being close and low scoring. But if they take care of the football, I expect them to pull away late. That is the big ultimate question. Can they take care of the football? Let's get to some of the other ones. By the way, I I, I will take Michigan uh, for, for the wins, losses. All my all my picks, by the way, are at AaronTorresOnline.com. You can check them out there. Michigan is my official pick. I'll say 24-10 to 10 Michigan. They got to take care of the football. They should be fine. There's no way to know if they will, but if they do, they'll be. Okay. Uh, a couple other games. Friday night, plan accordingly. Put the kids to bed early. We got some Pac-12 after dark, baby. Oregon versus Utah in the Pac-12 championship game at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. That is a beautiful facility. I just drove by it last week when I was in Vegas. So excited to watch this game. And I do hope kind of the combination of Lincoln Riley, of this Pac-12 championship game having a permanent home in Las Vegas, that these are the steps that will help the Pac-12 reestablish itself as a real brand in college sports and in college football specifically. Problem with this game is we just saw this game two weeks ago and it was really ugly. Utah beat Oregon 38-7 in Salt Lake City. But what I would also say about that game, this is no disrespect to Utah because they kicked the crap out of Oregon. That game could have and probably should have been closer than it ultimately was. Again, this is a Friday night game, but dating back to the first time they played, Oregon in the first half missed two pretty makeable field goals and also Utah returned the, the a punt return for a touchdown on the final play of the half. So I'm not excusing Oregon. As a matter of fact, those two things are inexcusable. Special teams mistakes in the kicking game, special teams mistakes in the punt and uh, coverage game. But at the same time, if you think about it, if they make those two field goals, they don't give up a punt return, they go into halftime down 21-6. to That's a 15-point game. That's two possessions you can come back. Instead, they were down 28 to nothing, and it was a totally different deal. So in this game, I expect it to be more competitive. My concern, if I was in a if I was an Oregon fan, excuse me, is can you slow down that Utah run game? Okay, so Utah, as I, I've said it, I said it a few weeks ago when these two teams played, but Utah, in the last I don't know six, seven, eight weeks. They made a quarterback change. They had a starting quarterback named Charlie Brewer. He got benched. He actually entered the transfer portal, and they put in this guy, Cam Rising. This guy, Cam Rising, isn't incredible. He isn't elite. He isn't a difference maker, but what he does do well is he does not make mistakes in the games that he has played this year, 17 touchdowns and three interceptions, and they have really relied on the run game to take over for Utah. In their last five games, they've rushed for at least 200 yards in four of them. That includes, by the way, a 441-yard rushing game against Stanford a few weeks ago, 208 yards against Oregon when they met a few weeks uh, uh, when they met in, in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago. And so, when I look at this game, 
it just comes down to Oregon. I know they're known as a physical, tough team, but Utah was much more physical in the first game. I expect this one to be closer. I expect Oregon to clean up the, the, the special teams mistakes. I just don't know if with their quarterback, Anthony Brown, I've talked a lot about him. I don't think he's the kind of guy that can put you on his back and win him games. Their best running back is hurt at Oregon, C.J. Verdell. He's been out for a few weeks. I just don't know that they can do enough to actually win this game. Really quickly, we'll wrap up with the two other big games. And then I'll also say this, the AAC game with Houston and Cincinnati is not going to be a cakewalk for, for Cincinnati. But let's start with the ACC. Listen, I don't know how many Pitt and Wake Forest football fans we have on this show. I'm not going to spend too much time. I'll just tell you this. These are two of the most explosive offenses in college football. When you talk about a, a game that should be really, really, really fun, Wake Forest, third nationally in scoring, 42.9 points per game. Pitt, number four nationally in scoring, 42.8 points per game. So you're talking about two teams that averaged over 40 points per game. The Obviously, the big story here, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback for Pitt, 40 touchdowns pass, 40 passing touchdowns this year, second most in college football. And I don't think this guy is out of the Heisman Trophy race. I mean, if, if Bryce Young just gets mauled by Georgia's defense, if Kenny Pickett throws for five TDs and leads Pitt to an ACC championship, I don't think it's inconceivable that we're talking about him not only as a Heisman finalist, I don't know if he'd win it, but I don't think it's inconceivable either. Um, with that said, I would also add... Um, I would also add with this one, Wake Forest defense is atrocious, okay? So Wake Forest is a really fun team. They score a lot, but boy, oh boy, does Wake Forest give up a lot of points as well. Uh, this is a defense that all season long has struggled to make stops. They gave up 40 points or more in three of their final four games. That included almost 60 that they gave up to North Carolina. On the season, they gave up close to 30 points per game. So listen. I don't tell you what, how to bet. I don't tell you what to do. If I was you, I'd take the over. I'll tell you this. With the DraftKings special, if you want to sign up, pick one of these teams. I guarantee they will both score one point, and you will get $100 in free bets. Finally, with the Big 12, I'll just say, you know, this is one I don't really have a great feel for. Uh, it's Oklahoma State versus Baylor. It's obviously a great day for the Big 12 because the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas bailed on them. Oklahoma's looking for a coach as I record here, and Texas, of course, uh, is Texas, and they are definitely not in this game. And so when I look at this situation, I, I just think it's going to be a fun, competitive, low-scoring game. These are the two best defenses in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor played earlier this year. Oklahoma State won 24-14, but I only bring it up to say when it comes to this game, I think it's going to be a fun one. What I would also say is I think Baylor is a great story with Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda sticking around to be the Baylor head coach. And I bring it up because, uh, you know, I, I do worry about Baylor with this specific matchup. If Oklahoma State, if last week was the first time you really watched Oklahoma State against Oklahoma, I'll tell you they have a really good defense, much better than they looked against Oklahoma State. Really good run defense specifically. Baylor wants to run the football last time. They barely got over 100 yards on 30-plus carries against Oklahoma State. And I could see this one being a struggle for Baylor to win to to move the football here. Finally, AAC Championship game, Houston at Cincinnati. This is the one championship game that that has marquee kind of a uh, meaning that is on a true home field. So this game will be at Nippert Stadium, the home field of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I think we know what's at stake. You know, Cincinnati is obviously playing for a college football playoff berth. What I would also say on top of that um, is that Houston is not a bad team. Houston, for people who don't know, coached by Dana Holgerson. He was at West Virginia forever. They are a team. They lost their season opener to Texas Tech. 
They were up at halftime, win the game, and they have won every single game on their schedule since. So they're 11 and one, and every single win has been by seven plus points. So what I would say is this is a really good team. And beyond that, what's also important to note, we think of Houston, we think of Dana Holgerson as this great offense, and they are this year. They have a top 10 defense. They actually have a defense ranked ahead of Cincinnati this year. And so the idea that Cincinnati is just going to take cakewalk their way to the college football playoff, I don't see it. Not saying they're going to lose, but I think this is going to be a tough, hard-fought win if Cincinnati gets it. We know they have not been great down the stretch. They've done enough, but they have not been elite. I think this will be a fun one. To recap, I, you know, first of all, all my picks are at AaronTorresOnline.com. But what I would really say as it pertains to the weekend, remember, if Georgia wins, they are in the college football playoff. I think even if they lose, they will make it in the college football playoff as an at-large team. Michigan, if they win, they're in. If they lose, they are probably out. Everyone is saying Alabama, I should say. Those are the three teams. If Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan win, they are all in. If Georgia and Michigan win, if Georgia wins, then that means that the the fifth the the then that means that Cincinnati and Oklahoma State would both be in really good shape. I still think, like I said, if Alabama were to lose closely, I could see the scenario where the playoff committee tries to talk themselves into putting Alabama in. And it is again worth noting: Notre Dame is sitting at eleven and one. They don't, as I record, technically have a head coach. But with that said, Notre Dame would need just a little bit of chaos. They would need Alabama to lose, and then probably either Cincinnati or Oklahoma State to lose, and they would be in the college football playoff as well. All right, so what I want to do take a quick break. I want to come back, and as promised, I'm going to talk a little college hoops, baby. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk a little college hoops. And it's funny, right, because so many of you, a lot of you anyway, you guys know me more for college hoops than you actually know me for college football. And I love college football, and I love college basketball. And I think most of you probably do know me more for college basketball. And a lot of you have said, Torres, you're not talking enough college basketball right now. Now, of course, I'm also accused of always having hot takes and always going over the top and always overreacting to everything. And so what I've tried to do with college hoops, listen, to, to be clear, I'm watching everything. I, I'm observing, I'm watching, I'm talking to people in the industry that I respect. But college basketball is not college football. College football, you lose one game, your entire season could be over. Whereas college basketball, it's not quite the same. So yeah, I could have done an emergency episode when Duke lost to Ohio State and acted like it was the end of the world. But I watched that entire game, and I'm here to tell you, Duke's going to be fine. Duke's actually really good. I saw them in person against Gonzaga the other day. They're fantastic. Now, I may have jinxed them because I called them the definitive number one team in the country and they lost the next day. But I just bring it up to say that as we transition out of college football into college basketball, we will do more college basketball. But I don't want to get on this podcast and yell and scream and pretend like a Duke loss on a Tuesday night to Ohio State is the end of the world when it isn't. And so we had a lot of college hoops this week. I am going to react to it all. But I will say there was one thing that happened this week that I do think from a college basketball perspective, it is like a really big deal. And it came in the beautiful city, beautiful town of Athens, Georgia, where on Wednesday night, the fighting Tom Creens. That's right, Tom Crean. Love Tom Crean. Never said a mean thing about Tom Crean. They came into a game against Memphis, Came in at 2-5 and five overall. Tough start to the year. Lost to Northwestern. Lost to Georgia Tech. Lost to Virginia. But they hosted Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. They came in. 
And Georgia, without their starting point guard, without basically a player that I've ever heard of, like I love college basketball and I had never heard of anyone in Georgia's starting lineup, Georgia at home took care of Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers 82-79. to And it is officially time to worry about Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. And I know we don't want to overreact and I know we don't want to base anything on one game. But on Friday night, Memphis was playing at the Barclays Center in New York against Iowa State, lost by 19 points. One of our writers at Aaron Torres Online, Zach Crow, was there. He wrote a great article about that game. And then on Wednesday night, they followed up with a loss to a 2-5 and five Georgia team to fall to 5-2 and two on the season. And so let's break it down. Let's talk about it. And before I say anything else, let me say this. Memphis fans think that I do not like Penny Hardaway. That could not be the furthest thing from the truth. I know I told you a few weeks ago that I don't root for anybody. Oh, I don't root for Jim Harbaugh against Ohio State. I don't care about that. I'll tell you this. Hand to God, if there was a Bible, I would put it on it right now. I'm actually rooting for Memphis to be good. I'm actually rooting for Memphis to be awesome. Because can you think of, in college basketball right now, there would be, if Memphis was great, there would be no bigger story in college basketball right now than Memphis. It would be great for my business. In the same way that when the Miami Hurricanes are good and they're, ta- they're running through the smoke and it's all about the U, that would be Memphis in basketball. Memphis could be the modern-day Fab Five, if you think about it. They have two potential top five picks when they enter the draft. Now, I know Amani Bates is not eligible for this year's draft, but they have two potential top five picks. Jalen Duran will be a top five pick this year. Amani Bates will be a top five pick in 2023. And that's great for college basketball. Amani Bates is one of the most high-profile high school players in recent college basketball history. They are coached by an NBA All-Star. Their assistant coach is one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time in Larry Brown. Rasheed Wallace is an assistant coach. There would be no bigger story in college basketball than if Memphis was awesome. Now, if Duke was awesome with the number one pick in the draft, Paolo Bancaro, maybe they'd be on par. If Kentucky was steamrolling through this sport, which I actually kind of expect them to do over the next three, four weeks heading into SEC play, that would be a big story too. There would be no bigger story in college basketball than Penny Hardaway and Memphis being awesome. Unfortunately, they're not. Unfortunately, they lost to Georgia. Unfortunately, they fell to 5-2, and two, and I'm just here to say it. We have made excuses for Penny Hardaway for years. And by the way, to be clear, I'm not saying he needs to be fired. I'm not saying he needs to be this. I'm not saying he needs to be that. But this is a man that prior to the 2019-2020 season said, I want all the smoke. Well, the smoke is coming. We are now in year four of the Penny Hardaway era. And to date, Penny Hardaway does not have a single signature win. As I tweeted out on Wednesday night after the game, Penny Hardaway's single biggest win is two close losses to Houston. And so let's get into it. Let's break it down. And, and the problem that I have with Memphis, it's not even a problem. It's a disappointment. I think I talked about this a few days ago. But you know how your parents tell you, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed in Memphis for this reason. All of the concerns that I told you when Imani Bates and Jalen Duran committed are coming true. Because I think we see two incredibly gifted players, and this is not a knock on either of them. I wish them nothing but the best going forward. But when these two incredible players commit, everybody is in a rush to put them in their top three, put them in their top five, put them in their top ten. I think I had Memphis at about 14 or 15 in my final preseason poll because I said 
These are two incredible individual talents, but there are holes in this team. First of all, Memphis does not have a true, if you want to call him a point guard, I don't know if we still use the term point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center in modern basketball. They don't have a playmaker at the point guard position. You don't have to have Chris Paul. You don't have to have Steve Nash. You don't have to have Trey Young. But you have to have guys that can set up other players, especially when you have as much talent as Memphis does. And the one thing you can't deny is that Memphis has talent. Right now, and I thought actually Gary Parrish from CBS tweeted this out. I thought it was a great point. Memphis in their loss on Friday turned the ball over 22 times, okay? Here's why that's problematic. The best playmaker that they've had in the program the last two, three, four years, Boogie Ellis, transferred out this offseason. He's playing at USC. You know who was playing right after Memphis the other night? Boogie Ellis and USC. So they do not have a point guard, and because of that, it really, really, really impacts their offense. Amani Bates is an incredibly talented player, but Amani Bates was never going to be a point guard. Amani Bates is a scorer. He's a wing player. He's best creating one-on-one, and the idea that Penny Hardaway sold him and that he tried to sell us that he is going to make Amani Bates as a point guard, it's just ridiculous. This is college basketball. This isn't the NBA. You can't take a 6'8 player and just put the ball in his hands and expect him to be good. Amani Bates is 17 years old. He doesn't have all the answers. It's not his fault. His coach should have never even made the idea or possibility put it out there that Amani Bates was going to be a point guard because that's not who he is. That's never who he's been. And if those are skills you want to work on in practice, if those are skills you want to work on behind the scenes, that's one thing. But when the lights come on, you got to win games, Penny Hardaway, and Amani Bates isn't the guy. And because of that, the offense really struggles. What, 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 listen, we criticize Penny Hardaway for one thing, for a lot of things. Their defense is always really good. But I thought it was really interesting. The, the guys who were calling the game, Tom Hart, uh, who's a friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, and I believe Damian Fishback was the, the uh, color commentator. And, you know, as the, uh, they were talking about the shoot-around. And Memphis, since Penny Hardaway has gotten there, has been awesome on the defensive end. They play really hard. They're super athletic. They protect the rim, all that good stuff. And I thought Tom Hart and Damian Fishback, the analyst, color commentator, whatever you want to call them, they were talking about going to shoot-around, and they were surprised to see that Memphis spent about 80% of the shoot-around working on defense. They don't need to work on defense. You need to work on offense, and you need to work on creating ways to get easy baskets. And while they scored 79 points against Georgia, if you watch that game, the offense never came easy. And so to me, that is the bigger concern going forward. Yes, you put up 79 points against Georgia, but I was watching that game, and I was sitting there saying, man, there was a point in the second half about seven, eight minutes to go. I was texting Zach Kroll, the guy that I just mentioned, one of my writers here at Aaron Torres Online. And I was texting Zach, and I said, they got a chance to pull away, and they can't do it because they cannot get easy baskets. They do not have a Trevor Keels like Duke does. They do not have an Andrew Nemhard like Gonzaga does. They do not have a Kennedy Chandler like Tennessee does. They do not have a severe Wheeler like Kentucky does. And it's really hurting them. They could not get the baskets that they needed to pull away. Instead, Georgia just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And that, to me, leads to the bigger concern. What happens when you play some real teams? And so when I look at this team, they don't have a true point guard. They don't have an offense. And the bigger concern, and this is the thing I was talking about. I was talking about this in July and August when it became clear that Jalen Duren and Imani Bates were going to commit to Memphis. I said, my biggest concern, Penny Hardaway doesn't know how to put together a roster, okay? No one is denying his pedigree. Nobody is denying what a great player he was. He was one of my favorite players growing up. 
I feel bad criticizing and tweeting all these mean things about him. But Penny Hardaway doesn't know how to put together a roster. Great recruiter. What he does not understand is that you do not need 13 players on your roster under scholarship who can all play. And so if you watch them, there's just no rhyme or reason to anything they do. I looked it up before I started doing this podcast, okay? In total, they have nine players right now who are averaging 10-plus minutes per game, and they have two other players that are averaging right around nine minutes per game. You don't need 11 players in games that matter. And you go back to the Georgia game, there was just, there's no rhyme or reason. And I said this when I started talking about this Memphis team as they were coming together. I think it's easy to look at the talent on paper and this roster. What becomes the bigger issue is what happens when all these guys get together. And I'm not saying they're bad kids. I'm not saying they don't like each other. But you have a group of 10, 11 guys that have worked hard all summer, practiced, running on the track in 100-degree heat, weight room sessions at 6 a.m. And then Imani Bates and Jalen Duran show up, and they're just going to go into the starting lineup because they're one-and-done five-star prospects. And again, I know Imani Bates isn't technically a, a one-and-done because he's not eligible for the next NBA draft. And it just creates this weird thing where you have 12, 13 guys that all want to play, and I don't know how all of the puzzle pieces fit. I don't think Penny Hardaway knows how all the puzzle pieces fit. And so this is not a knock on the... Again, I want the program to be good. But they don't have a point guard. They don't have a playmaker. They turn the ball over too much. They're averaging close to 19 turnovers per game. And we are already, it's only December 2nd as I record here, December 3rd as you guys listen. We are already at a point where Memphis's back is kind of against the wall. And this is what I talked about again in July and August. Memphis plays in the AAC, okay? The AAC, by the way, is about to get a lot worse when Cincinnati and Houston leave in a couple years. But you start looking at Memphis's roster right now. You start looking at their, their schedule. What was Memphis's problem last year? You could say I criticized Penny Hardaway. I said they were one of the 68 best teams by the end of the year. They just didn't have a resume by the end of the year that was worthy of an at-large bid. And so now you fast forward to 2021, 2022, we're headed towards the same position. They're 5-2. and two. They did take care of Virginia Tech, but they have a loss to Iowa State and Georgia. They play at Ole Miss this weekend. They play Alabama at home on December 14th, and they play Tennessee in Nashville on December 18th, so essentially two weeks from Saturday. Those three games essentially define their season. Those three games essentially define their season because if they do not win those games, they are in major trouble going forward. They are in major trouble going forward because they are not going to have a schedule in their conference where they pick up enough wins to put together an at-large resume. Houston is awesome. Cincinnati looked really good. They took care of uh, 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 Illinois the other day and, of course, played played Arkansas really tough. But they also just lost to Monmouth. Wichita State's looking kind of good. But are these the kinds of wins that you are going to get that are going to impress an NCAA tournament resume? And so people criticize, oh, oh Torres, you talk about them too much. It's early. It doesn't matter. Every game when you are in the AAC matters. doesn't matter if you're in the Big 12. doesn't matter if you're in the SEC. doesn't matter if you're in the Big East. You can take a bad loss. You can look sloppy in November. But when you're as talented as Memphis is, this is not the time of year where you want to play poorly because these are the games that you need to win to impress the tournament committee late. And so I don't need to belabor the point. I don't need to go on and on. But I'm just telling you, this Memphis team, they got real issues. 
They got real problems. And I would be concerned if I was a Memphis fan because it sounds stupid to talk at-large resumes and NCAA tournament in December. But when you play in the AAC, all these games count, all these games matter, and I would be concerned. Really quickly, let me rip through the rest of college hoops this week. Uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge was kind of the big thing. I talked about Duke losing to Ohio State. Listen, it'd be easy for me to to take the low-hanging fruit and say, oh, Duke's in trouble, Coach K, he choked. They're awesome. They're really, really, really good. Like, Duke is really good. They're really talented. I thought the the game on the road, it was their first true road game. They played, obviously, Gonzaga and Kentucky on neutral courts in in Vegas and New York. But it was their first true road game. And I thought they kind of melted down down the stretch. But you go back to that Duke game, and they were mostly, it, it was crazy because Paulo Bancaro didn't even play that well, and they were mostly in control of that game until the final few minutes. I mean, you go back and look at the box scores, I mean, they were up most of the second half. They were up by as much as 11 points with 13 minutes to go, and from there, they kind of fell apart. And even then, even despite all that, they were still up nine with seven minutes to go. And so I could sit here and yell and scream about Duke, but like I think Duke's really good, and I think they're going to be fine. I would say the other big takeaway from the Big Ten ACC Challenge, I do think Purdue's in the short conversation of the top team in the country. I don't think they're there because I watched their game not only against Florida State, but also they played Villanova at Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. Beautiful Connecticut. Beautiful Uncasville, Connecticut. Purdue played Villanova uh, about 10 days ago, and in that game, Villanova was in complete control and they had a similar situation what happened when they played UCLA where they just ran out of size and they they just got worn down by the end of the game but what I would say about Purdue I I I do think they're by far the best team in the Big Ten and I I said by far I mean by far because Michigan stinks we'll get to them in a minute Uh, I think Wisconsin's actually pretty good my boy Mike Woodson we're going to talk about him he took his first loss I thought he was going undefeated but Purdue's the best team in the Big Ten. Let me just tell you a little bit about Purdue for people who haven't had a chance to watch. The interesting thing about them, they are an old school. First of all, they, they have a point guard named Jaden Ivey who is a stud. He actually reminds me, and he's got, part of it's the hair. He's got similar hair. Reminds me of John Morant. Just a super athletic, super springy point guard. So fun to watch. Really, really, really talented player. He played some Team USA basketball this summer. And anybody that was around him was like, oh, this guy's different like this guy's awesome and he has been awesome early in the season he's averaging 15 points six rebounds four assists one and a half steals and 43 percent from three he's going to be a top 10 pick come this next NBA draft but what I like about Purdue it was funny I was at uh the Las Vegas uh, event where I, I saw UCLA versus Gonzaga and I saw Gonzaga versus Duke and I was talking to somebody about uh Purdue and Purdue has a seven foot four center named Zach Eady back to the basket center, who is just, I mean, he's seven foot four. There's no other way to really put it. And so it was really funny because I was talking to somebody in Vegas about this, and I said, like, look, you know, we all think of modern new age basketball as Steph Curry, space and pace, shoot a ton of threes, who needs a center, all that good stuff. And, I like, there's definitely something to that. What I would also say, though, is this, is that there is, like, a reason that seven, like like up until five years ago, everything went through the post and you always wanted a big guy and you always took the big guy over the point guard. And it's because when you have a guy that you could just dump the ball to five feet from the basket and it's an automatic two points, like that, that is a good thing, right? And that's what Zach Eady brings to Purdue. He's so big, he's so physical, he's so tough. 
and he causes so many matchup problems for the opposing team when he plays. The crazy part is, by the way, he's averaging almost he's averaging 17 and 7. He's playing less than 19 minutes per game. So I'm not great at math, but you extrapolate that out to 40 minutes. That's a 34.14 rebound kind of guy for Zach Eady. And the reason he doesn't play that much is, one, because he doesn't need to. But two, they have a great power forward named Travion Williams, who's actually a starter who now comes off the bench. And so I really like this Purdue team. I don't think they're better than Duke. I don't think they're better than um, Gonzaga. But they play very unique. They're a veteran-grown team. I told you in the preseason. I said, look, it's not sexy to talk about these teams that just return everybody, have no new pieces, and are going to get better year over year. Like, it's fun to talk about Kentucky adding four or five pieces in the portal. It's fun to talk about Arkansas adding four or five pieces to the portal. It's fun to talk about Memphis enrolling Amani Bates and Jalen Durham. It's not fun talking about a team that last season was, uh, you know, was a top four team in the Big Ten, was a team that went... Uh, a team that had a really good record last year in the Big Ten. Overall, they finished uh, they finished eighteen and eight heading into the NCAA tournament. Like it's not fun talking about those kind of teams that are just good and bring back everybody. But I said they'd be really good. They are, and they just got through probably their biggest test of of the preseason, or they've gotten through a couple of their biggest tests of the preseason. Excuse me, as they take care of Villanova, they take care of Florida State. They actually open. Big Ten play on Friday night against Iowa at home. It's worth noting, Iowa's really good, by the way. They got a kid named Keegan Murray, who looks like a potential top 10, top 15 pick, actually second in the country in scoring as I'm recording here. So you'll be able to watch Purdue on Friday night. I may look stupid by the end of Friday night, but Purdue looks really, really, really good. I give them a ton of credit. Whipping around the rest of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. One, I just mentioned my boy Mike Woodson. I thought it was going to be uh, I thought it was going to be 1976 all over again and Indiana was going to go undefeated and win the national championship. Unfortunately, they did lose two, uh, two uh, Syracuse in double overtime. I'll say this. like, So I'll say this about Indiana. One, I'm totally joking. Mike Woodson's been awesome. And they dealt with foul trouble. And I actually predicted this game was going to be a loss for Indiana. And here's why. Mike Woodson's an NBA head coach coming down to the college level, going up against that Syracuse 2-3 zone. And it was Indiana's first road game. So the fact that they only lost by two on the road, I actually thought was a positive sign. What I would also say on top of all that is that Trace Jackson Davis, their returning power forward, he might be, I believe, the second best player in college basketball behind Paolo Bancaro. Like, he is really good. He had 31 points in that loss to Syracuse. He's averaging 22. He set an assembly hall record with 43 points against Marshall last Saturday. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of good players in college basketball, but there are certain guys that are good in certain spots. Like, uh, you know, Zach Eady, I just mentioned him, he's 7 for 4. Like, I don't know that he fits playing for Gonzaga where it's all space and pace and, and shoot a bunch of threes. Drew Timmy, I think he's really good at Gonzaga. I don't know that he'd be great in other situations. Trace Jackson Davis is a player that you could literally put on any roster in America, and if he got enough minutes, he could get you 25 and 12 boards. So credit Indiana. I actually think they're going to be okay. Syracuse is a mess. They get the win. That's all they need to worry about. A couple other games. Uh, the big one really to me that stood out was probably Michigan against North Carolina. Michigan got run out of the gym. Final score 72-51. to 51. And I'm just telling you, I told you in the preseason, I said Michigan was the team 
that I thought was going to take a step back. Now, I did say Hunter Dickinson was going to be my national player of the year. Kind of tough to tell because he was hurt uh, or he was uh, in foul trouble, excuse me, the other night. But when I look at this Michigan team, I told you what the problems were. I said, look, and I, I talked about this on the podcast last week. I said, look, here's the deal with Michigan. They had a bunch of older guys last year that were all just veteran, experienced, comfortable in college, all that good stuff, and they shot the crap out of the ball. They had a transfer named Mike Smith, who was a point guard, who was setting everybody up. He averaged six assists per game. He was one of the best point guards in the Big Ten. Well, now you lose your point guard, and all those great three-point shooters are gone. Well, what happened? They lose to North Carolina 72-51. to Let's take a guess. 13 turnovers, nine assists, so negative turnover differential, five of 16 from three. And I talked about it the other day, but I'm going to keep hammering it home. I talked about it after the Seton Hall loss. They are currently, again, a negative assist to turnover ratio, 13 assists, 12, 14 and a half turnovers per game. And they're shooting 29 and a half percent from three. And so I could sit here and pat my back and I'll probably put them in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong next week. But I just bring it up to say this is a team with real problems. And, and do I think they're going to miss the tournament? Not necessarily. But I don't think they're... I don't want to say they're not well-constructed because I, I don't think Juwan Howard could do anything different. I think these these are the cards that you're dealt. You have a very veteran team last year. You lose a lot of those veterans. This is the kind of stuff that tends to happen. But Michigan is a team that I would worry about. As far as North Carolina is concerned, I liked what I saw from Hubert Davis. Now, look, it, it was a home game for them, huge advantage for them. But their point guard, Caleb Williams, a former McDonald's – or Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a football player from Oklahoma. Caleb Love – he, at, he had 22 points, 4 of 7 from 3, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. I thought he was awesome, so credit to him. And, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think I'm going to get out of here. I think I've done an hour. I think that's all the Aaron Torres that you guys want or can handle. So with that said, I think it's time for me to say goodbye. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We are going to keep rolling. So much to talk about. I appreciate your guys' support. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure that you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show, Aaron Torres Online. By the way, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Do your boy a favor. I'm just telling you, the body wash, the shampoo, the deodorant smells amazing. Guys, just get it. Go to, go, go to manscaped.com, use promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping. Do your boy a favor. This is going to be phenomenal. Also, DraftKings, thank you to them. Promo is obviously available in the show description. Manscaped.com, promo code Torres, all that good stuff. With that said, I am going to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back later this week with a new episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And when I say this week, I mean next week. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.